Hi, and welcome back to Holy Podcast. I am your host, Charity. So today we are going to talk about Saul. We're going to kind of recap what we were talking about last week, and we're going to end with Samuel in the book. This is like one of my favorite battles, and it's just really written well in a way that you can just kind of see personality here. And so we're going to talk about Saul as a person, kind of his personality, what he's like, and we're going to compare, I'm going to compare him a little bit to Israel. So if we recall, Israel rejected God. He rejected Sam. They rejected Samuel and his sons. Uh, I understand the point about the sons, um, but really they kind of just wanted their own way. And they requested that Samuel go before God and request a king because everybody else has one. Um, so you see, this is something where they're very uh, concerned about what everyone else looks like around them. They're kind of image conscious. And so God gives them a king that in many ways is just like them. He's also image conscious. He looks good on the outside, but his heart is just not right. Um, and even in comparison to the next king, um, it says that David, the next king that will be uh, in after Saul, God chose him because David was a man after God's own heart. And Saul, Saul was a person that was chosen as king based on his appearance in many ways. The people accepted him, but God had to give him a new heart. And even this was a struggle because his heart was faithless. So minor battle before the one that I'm going to get into with the Amalekites, there was a battle and they were waiting for Samuel to come. And Samuel said he would be there on the seventh day. And as Saul became impatient and as his troops became impatient, he was worried more about pleasing the, the troops and the soldiers that were beginning to get nervous and antsy than he was worried about pleasing God. And so he put a sacrifice. He gave the sacrifice of, of peace and um, th this offering on the altar instead of allowing Samuel to do his job as the priest. Saul stepped in and tried to take that position. Um, and he got in trouble for that. So again, you kind of, it's just a glimpse of his heart, his intention. You can see that he's always worried about what the people around him think, what the men think, what the troops think, who's going to think less of him, will he hold his position? And so it shows this great insecurity in his heart that allows him to be or drives him in some ways to be unfaithful. He was never secure in who he was to please first, and that was God. So... As we go into this next story, <clears throat> Saul has been king for some time, and Samuel comes to him and says, basically kind of reminds him of the history of this beef between the Amalekites and the Israelites, which just to recap really briefly, the Amalekites um, are this kind of nomadic people, kind of like the Huns. And the skirmishes begin between the Israelites and the Amalekites as they are leaving Egypt many, many years before. And 
they came in and they would kind of, they were raiding and picking off the Israelites in the back that were marching because it's this long, long line of people. And it begins there. There's another skirmish with Moses once they're uh, outside the promised land. And Joshua ends up having to do battle. And Moses, God gave Moses a word and made him set up um, a remembrance for it, an altar saying that God will even the score at some point. And so that's kind of what's being called to head here. And so Samuel's given a word. He goes to Saul and he says, look, Saul, God had me anoint you, right? So you know God appointed this for you. And just as he's done that, he's also called you to deliver my people. And now it's time to even the score between the Amalekites and us. Basically, we've had enough of their trouble and this needs to stop. So today I'm probably going to give a little more uh, commentary than I normally do on relaying the story, but hopefully this will help give you a little more context and perspective. So when he tells him, you got to go even the score with the Amalekites, um, and he reminds him of the history, he says, when you go in there, you must destroy completely the whole entire nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, donkeys, like everything. Do not take a thing, just destroy it all. And now some people may say like, dang, that's harsh. And I understand that, Um, you know, especially with a culture we have that's very sensitive and, and very loving in a lot of ways. But this was about allowing corruption in. And so when they allow corruption in, it will overtake their culture. So when we read something like this, we need to be careful when we're reading stuff in the Bible that we maybe don't understand or we question, we need to put it before God and ask for understanding. We can't just say, "Hmm, I don't understand, so it must be wrong. That's a really arrogant approach, and we need to be very careful uh, not to be questioning God's morality. We know that God is both just and merciful, and you cannot have mercy without justice. At some point, there must justice must be made. Um, you know, very very easily for us is to see if we know somebody who has been assaulted. Um, if they don't get brought before the justice, if they don't get uh, taken to court, and nothing happens, then there's no justice there, and so there's no mercy for the person who's been assaulted. So in this way. Part of what Moses had declared was that there would be, that they would need to be wiped out completely. And part of this is that, you know, the first group to attack the Israelites, the Amalekites, when they attacked the Israelites, they were the first ones to actually go after them. And there's actually reading in the, in the Torah that kind of talks about this as well, just to kind of give the Torah, well, the oral tradition of the Torah, um, it actually claims uh, the specific, some specifics against the Israelites. I think sometimes it's really easy for us to look at people and say, yes, all people are bad, we're all sinners and that kind of thing, which is true. But sometimes it's important to hear 
um, the specific uh, details or the account or charges against the Amalekites. And in the oral tradition, it reads that um, when they were picking off the Israelites, the tired and the weary in the back of the line, there were accusations of rape, castration, and murder. And so there was no, um, it was like a pathological hate toward the Jews and it was continuous. So when Moses made, when God had Moses make that proclamation, basically it was kind of a thing of there will be no peace as long as these people are trying to chase you and kill you. There's no way to make a peace with these people. Um, So as Saul is given this charge, you know, Samuel comes to him and he reminds him that he's the leader of the people. I find it interesting that even uh, almost every time that Samuel comes to Saul, one of the first thing he reminds him is who he is in God. It's like he never could get a hold of that. He had just such uh, a rough time with self-esteem even. And so he reminds him, he says, you know, God appointed you. Basically, God's with you on this. Go and handle business. And so Saul mobilizes an army at Tilliam. He gets 200,000 soldiers from all of Israel and then 10,000 from Judah. And so they lay in wait in this valley outside of one of the the Amalekite towns. And while they're there, they they come up next to the Kenites. And he kind of comes to him and says, hey, hey, Kenites. He says, you guys have been good to us. Like when we left Egypt, y'all were really cool with us. So we want you to know we're going after the Amalekites and we don't want to hurt you. So you guys might want to get out of here. And so that's what the Kenites kind of pull up stakes and they kind of just disappear. Um, So the battle ensues after that. And they go through several of the territories and towns of the Amalekites. And when they go in, they do decimate everything um, except King Agag and they might have kept like the really best cattle for themselves. So God goes to Samuel. He gives him a word. It's like the middle of the night. Samuel's, you know, resting and God talks to him and he says, Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. He has not been loyal to me and he refuses to be obedient. And says Samuel cried all night. You could tell Samuel like really was invested in Saul. Um, There are some different statements made here, but it says he cried for him all night. And so the next morning, Samuel went to go look for Saul. And he's looking for him. He's like, has anybody seen him? And this guy's like, oh, uh, he went up to to Carmel, the town, to set up a monument to himself. Ah. That's heartbreaking. It really tells you kind of where Saul's uh, motive is. It's like, you know, let me set up a monument to show everybody how awesome I am, right? And and Samuel knows he hasn't even followed all the instructions. So Samuel catches up with Saul, and Saul's all cheerful, and he's like, oh, may the Lord bless you, and this kind of thing. And he's like, I've been a big boy. I did what God told me to. And Samuel's like... Did you really, though? He's like, you know what God told me last night? And Saul's like, what? 
And he, he laid it out to him. He said, although you may think little of yourself. So again, with the self-esteem piece, him not knowing who he is, he said, you are the leader of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord has anointed you to be the king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush in for the plunder and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And it says, but I, Saul's like, but I, I did obey. I carried out the mission God gave me. And he says, I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. And then he's like, but my troops brought back the best sheep and goat. Like it wasn't me exactly. It was my troops. And so then he's like, they brought back all that stuff, but we're going to totally sacrifice it to God. Like that makes it okay. Right. And Samuel told him, he said, what is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to what he tells you to do. He said, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering fat rams. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you rejected the command of God, he has rejected you as king. So then Saul finally kind of came clean and he was like, yeah, okay, you're right. I sinned. I disobeyed God's instructions. And he says, but I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. So, but now please forgive me of my sin. Like, it's interesting. Again, we start off with a self-esteem issue with, with Saul not really knowing his value and again, stumbling because he's worried about pleasing people more than God um, or displeasing people more than displeasing God. Um, and, and so you see there's this whole thing and he's trying to like make good on it. So then again, he tells them, He's like, he tells Saul goes and he's pleading with Samuel and he's like, well, you know, forgive me and, and come worship with me. And I know I messed up, but please honor me before the elders. Dude, it's so heartbreaking because it's so much about image. It's not like, like even like when Saul gets called out, he like kind of comes clean, but it's always with an excuse. So it's never like, he never fully is like, yeah, I deserve to be kicked in the butt. It was like, yeah, 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 kind of, but let me gloss it over with this excuse. <sighs> so then as he's like trying to like plead with Samuel to go with them, he's like pleading so much and Samuel's walking away. He rips the hem of, of Samuel's robe and Samuel turns to him and he says, just as you've ripped my garment, God has ripped the kingdom of Israel from you. And not only that, he goes on to say, and he's going to replace you with someone who is better than you, which like totally, it's like, I, I think that will come into play later as we see the next King kind of coming in, um, that it will, it will wear on Saul. You know, it's, it'll totally be salt in his wound. 
So that totally like, so Samuel does relent and he does go and they worship together. But after that, Samuel never went and saw, saw King Saul again. He says, but he mourned for him constantly. He cried for him. Um, which shows you, you know, Samuel really cared for Saul and he was really heartbroken over that. So after that, Samuel has to request, he sends for King Agag. King Agag, it says, shows up and he's like kind of full of hope. He's like, surely the worst is over. But dude, Samuel is a pretty bad dude. He don't mess around. He had to finish what Saul didn't. He had unfinished business. So he brings in King Agag and he tells him, you know, basically he says, you think, you know, as your sword has made many of the mothers of Israel childless, do you think we're going to spare your mother too? And he, it says that he took King Agag and he cut him up before the Lord. Like brutal, right? Like what a tough job to be like the, the priest and prophet over Israel and, and the obedience it takes to do that. So after this, we're going to go ahead and finish up Samuel's life story. We will finally come to a conclusion. Um, I know it's been long awaited. So after this, you know, Saul or Samuel has been mourning Saul. And finally, God gives him a word and he says, you know, you've mourned for him long enough. It's time for a change. So he said, I want you to get up, fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. And there you're going to find a guy named Jesse. He lives there and you are going to select one of his sons as king. And Samuel or Samuel's like, well, how can I do that? Because if Saul finds out what I'm doing, he'll definitely want to kill me. And so God tells him, well, take a, take a cow with you and go there for sacrifice and that kind of thing. And so that way no one else, you know, they're not aware. You'll be under the radar. So he showed up and when he did, um, they were, when Jesse went to meet him, they were kind of trembling. They're like, what's wrong? You know, are, are you okay? Did you come in peace? Like, you ain't going to kill us, are you? So <laughs> he tells them, he's like, yes, God sent me. Basically, he sent me um, to anoint one of your sons as king. And so he, he, excuse me, Samuel requested Jesse to bring in all of his sons. And so he brings in his sons. And basically, Samuel's kind of asking God, is this the guy? Is this the guy? Right. And even so he sees Samuel comes in and he sees one of his sons and he's handsome and he's tall. And like Samuel's like, sure, surely this must be the guy. God said, don't judge him by his appearance. This is not going to be like, I'm not making the same. Uh, I'm not going to make uh, a king out of the same kind of cloth as last time. So he went through all of his sons. He goes, is this everybody? Because God didn't give him the nod yet as he goes through all of Jesse's sons. And they're like, well, there's one more guy. We have one. He's the youngest. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. So here's this, you know, ruddy little guy named David. 
the baby of the family. I don't know if uh, most of the time I find the babies of the families get picked on quite a bit, stepped on and bossed by all their siblings. Um, and so they finally send for him. And when they do, God says, yep, this is your guy. So it says that he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And that was the one that, that became anointed. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. But David, to begin with, like I had mentioned earlier, had a heart after God's own will, and he wanted to serve God. And so he came already with a desire to fulfill God's will. Um, so later on, the rest of the rest of Samuel goes into some of these battles. It goes into Saul and those kinds of things. But this is pretty much the end of Samuel's public ministry. He continues his life as the priest and the prophet over uh, Israel, and then eventually he dies and is buried in Ramah. So that is the whole life of Samuel, which is pretty cool. It's really rare in the Bible that we get to see um, the whole life of somebody. A lot of times we only pick up pieces of it. So I hope you've enjoyed this, um, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.